And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, He was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered Him and said, Lord, if it be Thou, bid me come unto Thee on the water. And He said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to meet with us tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege to be here in your house tonight. God, we take it for granted so often the liberties that we have, God, to be a child of the King. Lord, I pray that tonight You would use Your Word to change our lives, to make us desire You more. God, be with our pastor tonight and bless the service he's a part of. And God, I pray that You would, in a very real way, move in our midst and do that that only You can. Amen. You may be seated. Not many people will understand this, but I think you'll get the gist and you could probably apply it anywhere in your life, but if you go with me to a Bible college dormitory for a moment, and, and, I, and I've lived this, and that's why I use this story, but if you could imagine a, a room full of preacher boys, six to eight of us sharing a room, and you're sitting around, and, and maybe you just left chapel, and, <laughs> and they always wanted to preach about the coming of Jesus. And, uh, and that's because they were the old guys that were ready to go home. Us young preachers boys did not want Jesus to show up. We were not ready for that. If we're honest, and I know you're probably not supposed to say that while you're preaching, but we weren't looking for the coming of the Lord. We were looking for our wife. Amen. And, uh, but we would go back to our dormitories and we'd be depressed. We're like, Jesus coming? We're not even married yet. We haven't even pastored a church. We've not had a chance to live. Take them, believe us. We need to, we want to live a while. And, and of course we understand the importance of Finding the Lord. But we would sit around and talk and, and we, we, we would make plans. You know, you might have a roommate, he's a missions major. And know the mission field he's about to go to. And the day he'd come in, he said, Man, I met, I took this girl on a date and she wanted, she said God told her she was going to marry a missionary. I must be the one because I'm a missionary. And there'd be, you'd have roommates that are studying to be a pastor, a youth pastor. And knew exactly, perhaps over there, for education, and they were going to be a Christian school teacher. And we'd all sit around, and we'd plan, and we'd talk. And some would have it to a T, exactly what would be planned. Many of us will talk in our life. This is who I'm going to marry. This is how many children I want. This is where we will live. The town, the state. This is the job I want. Perhaps this is the church I'll pastor, or, or this is the ministry I'll serve in, this is where I will be, and this is when I'll be full-time, and on and on and on, and we plan, and we work, and we, we strive to reach those. A high schooler will be challenged, and, 
and will say, where do you want to be in 10 years? What's your goal? What's your long-term 10-year goal, your 5-year goal? All about reaching a destination. You'll hear a child say, when I grow up, fill in the blank. You'll hear us say something, I'm going there, a destination. And on a personal note, if you'd asked me, as I stood in Bible college at Hiles Anderson College in Crown Point, Indiana, and you had asked me where I would be, it's not where I am today. If you had asked me what would I be doing then, it is not what I do now. And what I studied, I studied pastoral theology, and I've shared this, and I, don't, I hope nobody will misunderstand. I worked a bus ministry. I did not like the bus ministry. God never would let me leave it, and I now understand why. I had zero desire to be a youth pastor. I can remember, because I didn't think I could, and I'm still not capable, but I can remember standing there with the youth pastor guy in college and listening to him talk, and I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to ever match that. And it's amazing, and I've heard it said, don't tell God what you want to do because you'll do something different. But if you ask me, my destination has changed quite a bit. And there have been times, and we can all agree, it's rather disappointing when our destination and our life plan doesn't come together the way we thought it would. When our journey takes that unexpected turn, perhaps it's the loss of a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent. When everything that we hoped for and we longed for doesn't land that way, and quite frankly, we feel like we're doing the complete opposite, not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of what we thought and what God had in store. That's challenging. It's rather disappointing. And I, and I realize we're supposed to be superior Christians and we're not supposed to acknowledge the fact that sometimes we struggle with the destination that God has in mind. And that it's a challenge to stay the course. Because it wasn't the course that we desired. Oh, we say we want the will of God. And we talk about God's plan for our life. But if we're real honest, we, we're hoping that God takes the path we've laid out and tags it as His will for our life. But what God wants to do is take us off of our path and say, here's my chosen path, my will, this is what I want from you. And we want the opposite. We want the ours tagged. When we say, I want to be here next number of years and that year comes and it's not happened. When we set those goals... When it seems like it's taking longer than it should. And the preparation is longer than you ever expected. If you can imagine, and again, please don't misunderstand, but if you can imagine a college guys thinking four years of class, a two-year master degree, somewhere in that two years finding a wife, and then bam, a church or a ministry or this or that. And when God chooses an alternative, it's a challenge. It's not easy because God chose the preparation to have some additional time. And as that takes longer, may I say it's okay to desire a destination, we should have goals. 
I don't think it's sinful that we say, man, I hope I'm here one day. We should have the desires to move forward for the glory of God and those goals that drive us and motivate us. But I want to say our desires should be Jesus. Our desires should be Jesus. When we desire Jesus, we will be okay with the destination. When we desire a place, a thing, or a plan, more than we desire Jesus, we will set ourselves up for disappointment. When we desire Jesus, we'll be okay with the destination. When we desire a place, or a plan, or an object, or a thing, more than we desire Jesus, we set ourselves up for disappointment. I believe that tonight Jesus wants us to want Him more than anything else. I believe if you want to simplify God's plan for our life tonight, God's plan for our life is to desire Him. Because ultimately, if we will tune our eyes to Jesus Christ and what He would desire and what He would want for our life, we'll ultimately be okay with whatever He chooses. In verse 29, you see that Jesus used one simple four-letter word, come, to, to tell Peter to walk to Him. Jesus used this other words other times in the Bible, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew nineteen fourteen. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. John six sixty five. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. John seven thirty seven. In the last in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And drink. Jesus has given us all the invitation to come to Him. We have the invitation throughout the Word of God. All you that are weary, come unto me and I will give you rest. All you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. We have an open invitation from God Himself. After all, He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. You notice Jesus said, I am the way, not the what. I'm the way, not the where. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not near as interested in our destination as much as our relationship with Him. If He is the way to where you and I long to be in life, our way is our relationship with Jesus. Jesus should not be our destination. Please listen closely. Jesus should not be our destination. Jesus should be our journey. Jesus should be our journey. We should want to be with Him. Work for Him. Serve Him. Hey, not the church. Not the pastor. Not the Sunday school class. But serve Him. We should want to work for Him. And love Him. And desire Him. We should desire that Jesus would be our journey. Not our goal, not our destination, but our journey. That day in and day out we would love Him and know Him. Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. If you could go back into the men of old, if you go back to Daniel, and you say, Daniel... How in the world did you overcome that lion's den? 
Is that what you dreamed of as a child? Is that when I grow up, I want to be eaten by lions. Can you imagine? Is that what you thought of, Daniel? I can hear Daniel's response and he, when he would say, my journey was Jesus. That's how I made it. If you could go back and see David as a young boy keeping sheep, and he goes up he says, and you walk up and say, David, how could you face that nine foot Goliath with no armor, just a sling and a stone? How in the world could you imagine that? Was that what you planned? as a little boy, that your desire was to stand before a giant, totally vulnerable, I believe David would tell you, my journey was Jesus. If you could go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say, gentlemen, how in the world could you have stood knowing the fiery furnace here, and the king telling you you'll be cast into that fiery furnace, how could you survive such? Was that really what you desired in your life? Was that your destination? Was that what you saw coming? If you asked them, I'm sure Daniel wouldn't have said, yeah, I wanted the lions. I imagine David wouldn't have said, yeah, I wanted to stand before Goliath. If you ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to say, yeah, I was hoping to get burned up in the fiery furnace. But I believe those three men would say, my journey was Jesus. That's how I could endure those times of affliction and the times of trial and the challenging battles that I would stand before. My journey was Jesus. And we get disappointed when we don't get our favorite flavor or our favorite color. Our journey should be Jesus. We get to enjoy Jesus every day of our lives. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know my ultimate destination. But I can know my Jesus day in and day out. James 4 says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Oh, if I draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to me. I have an invitation not to know the plan for the future, but to know the person that controls the future. I referenced the four-letter word, come, that Jesus used to call Peter to walk to Him on the water. And tonight, the four points that will be given will come from that word, come. First of all, I want to tell you we should consider. We're going to make Jesus our journey. We should consider. And the first thing we, should, we have to consider is that doubt is a very normal part of the journey. Doubt is a very normal part of the journey. I wish that I didn't doubt and have times of questions, but I do. And I would say that many sitting here tonight would fall into that same category. If you look there in verse 28, excuse me, verse 31, Jesus asked Peter a question. He said, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The answer I want to show you is actually in verse 28. Back up to verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou. Peter's doubt was not when he was on the water. Peter's doubt was before he ever took the step of faith. Jesus just said, be not afraid, it is I. It doesn't get much more clear than that. And Peter said, if it be thou, Lord, bid me to come. Can I tell you that's the Christian lie for you? Doubt, 
faith, doubt, faith, doubt, faith. I don't know if we ever get to the point that we're going to be 100% faith all the time. If you can imagine, the story we read tonight was just that. Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, he doubted him. And when Jesus said, come, Peter chose to step out by faith and step out on the water. And he was walking on the water. And he doubted again. Within a matter of moments. And isn't that great? That's about how it goes in our life. The moment we step out. And we believe God's moved us and led us to do something. All of a sudden, the doubts flood your soul. And that is the Christian life. Matthew 17.10 First of all, may I say, Peter was a man of little faith, not no faith. He was a man of little faith, not no faith. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith... As a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I want to remind you tonight, we're not here to criticize Peter. He's done something none of us have. He's walked on water. And he was a man of little faith. And he walked on water. And we'll read verses like Matthew 17, 20, and we'll reference the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, and we'll talk about it. And it makes great preaching and teaching. But one must consider within itself, how is my faith? We read those kind of stories, and we, we think our conclusion is this. Oh, i got to grow my faith. And I'm not so sure that Jesus isn't just trying to shed light on how little a faith we have. Peter walked on water with little faith. Jesus said with the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. I've not moved any mountains lately. The only walking on water I could do at this moment in my life is to go buy cases of water and lay them out and walk on top of them. Because... Our faith is way less than what we imagine it to be. Or we'll make the statements, Oh, he or she is such a person of great faith. But in light of little faith, we maybe, maybe would have microscopic faith. But I know this, we've not tapped into a resource that we have of faith. And trust in God. Perhaps God wants to show us how small and weak and little our faith is. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Not only is doubt a very normal part of the journey, but I want to say second we should consider that Jesus knows the plan before we walk the path. Jesus knows the plan before we walk the path. If you go to verse number 22 again, and straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side. Notice that phrase, to go before Him unto the other side. Right there when Jesus is dispatching the disciples, running them off to a ship, He's already knowing, He already knows that He's going to be there. I'm just asking you to go a little bit ahead, fellas. I'm going to be there. He already knew the plan before the disciples got onto the boat and began their path across the sea. Jesus was going to be there. 
And so when we talk about our faith, we talk about our journey as Jesus, we must consider before we walk the path that God lays out in our life, He already knows the plan. He's already got it laid out. The storm did not catch Jesus by surprise. The storm did not catch Jesus by surprise. Nor does it in our life. Not only should we consider, I want to say secondly, we should obey. If Jesus is going to be our journey, we must obey. I see first of all, a sending away. In verse 22, He sends the multitudes away, and He sends the disciples away. They all went their own own ways, and Jesus went apart to pray. But you don't see anywhere right after that where there's confirmation that they went. They just obeyed. Those disciples went God in the ship. You see proof later, but it didn't say Jesus constrained them to go into a ship and it was done. They just did it. God didn't have to take precious Bible space and confirm the obedience. The obedience was just done. In the sending away, they just did it. I can imagine the disciples, they just witnessed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, I can imagine the disciples saying, but Jesus, we just really want to be with you. Jesus, it doesn't make sense. Why would you send us ahead of you? We'd rather wait and go with you. If you'd asked them, that's probably what they thought. But you just find them obeying. Going to a ship. Not only do I see the obedience in the sending away, there's the obedience of the summons. When Jesus said, Come. Come. Out of all the disciples, Peter was the only one willing to step out of the boat. He was the only one willing to get out of the boat to go to Jesus. And I want to say, if we accept the summons that God places on our lives, we will be the few. If we decide that Jesus is going to be our journey, we will be the few. You know people think you're weird if you go to church more than once a week? Some of you think it's weird. But if I'm committed to Jesus Christ and He is my journey, I'm going to be the few. If I'm waiting on the popularity and the favor of the world while I'm trying to pursue Jesus, it won't happen. And nor will I stay in the pursuit of Jesus very long. If I want Jesus to be my journey, I better be prepared to be one of the few. Do you think out of twelve disciples, there's not but one walking on the water? Obedience is the key to everything God has. I know you've not heard that but a time or two around here, but it's true. Our pastor says it constantly. Obedience is the key to everything God has. Not only should we consider and should we obey, but thirdly, I want to say we should measure. We should measure. If you've ever done any type of carpentry work, there's a phrase, you'll hear it. Measure twice, cut once. Especially if you're in carpentry in high school 
And, you know, they're on a budget that the county gives them. So every board you mess up takes money out of the budget. Or every blade you mess up. And so the philosophy is measure twice, cut once. Because once you make that cut, you can't just all of a sudden pack it back on. It's done. There's an eighth inch that's in sawdust. And so while you might say, well, I would glue that one piece back on. You're not going to get all of it back. And you measure twice and you cut once. Meaning you take extra care to make sure you put that mark in the right place that first time. And all of us that's ever done any woodworking knows what it is when you measure once and you cut once. Because it's wrong. Maybe not every time, but some of the time. So we should measure. I think there's three things we should measure. And these are things we ought to measure frequently in our lives and address them. Number one, our willingness. We should measure our willingness. I ask you a question tonight. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? When no one else is getting out of the boat, are you willing to be called by name? Notice. The disciples, all of them there in the boat. Only one of them, their name gets called. And that's because he was wanting to do something that would cause him to stand out from everybody else. He wasn't complacent just riding in the boat. He saw Jesus and he wanted to be with Jesus. And he got called by name. Are we willing to pay that price? Are we willing... When it doesn't make sense to have faith, to have faith. The storm's raging. Peter's sitting in the boat. The storm's raging. And Peter's saying, Lord, bid me to come. That doesn't make any sense. I'm more like, hey Jesus, come over here. we got a spot for you. Right here. It doesn't make any sense that we would go out in the storm and try to walk on the water. Never done it before in our lives. It makes no sense. But are we willing to pay the price and have the faith when it doesn't make sense? We still go, and we still do. Are we willing? Jesus was on the way to them. Not only should we measure our willingness, but we should measure our walk. I want to say in verse 29, Peter started right. He walked. He walked on the water. I don't know, two steps, three steps, four steps. I don't know. Any step on the water is more than any of us have done. But we ought to measure our walk once in a while. We ought to take time. And so many times we start right, but we don't finish right. We start well, but we don't finish well. I like what Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can I say there, there are times we get our eyes on the circumstances and the things around us. And we will. Much like Peter saw the storm and he began to sink. And we look around and we see the circumstances and our walk gets a little off kilter. Don't you love it when somebody walks up to you and says, how's your walk with God when you know it's in the pits? <laughs> hey, how's your Bible reading going? And you know it's all you could do to read that one verse so you could say you read your Bible that day. Hey, how's your prayer life going? And you know it was an in and out time because you were about late for work. And, and our, our walk gets a little off kilter. And if we go long enough before we call out to Jesus, we begin to feel overwhelmed. 
If you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like you're sinking, like you can't handle anything more. But then you're reminded that there's Jesus close by waiting for you to call out to Him. And so every so often we must stop and measure up on how our walk with God is if Jesus is to be our journey. We must stop and consider. Going back to carpentry, it's one thing to measure twice, cut once. But every so often, as you're framing a wall or whatever you may be, you take a speed square or a framing square, and you take to make sure you're still running square as you finish putting the wall together. Every so often, you check and make sure you've got something plumb if you want it to finish right. You may have started perfect. But if you, don't, if you go through the construction process of an entire home and don't stop every so often to pull a chalk line or to pull a plumb line and you don't check every so often, take the time. Oh, it's not easy. It'd be a lot quicker if you just throw that nail down and just shoot it and keep on trucking and not worry about it. But if you don't take the time when you get done, you'll have a poor built home. And then when you go to remodel it, you're trying to figure out why something doesn't fit because it ain't square. We've got to measure our walk. Our willingness and our walk. But then thirdly, we must measure our want. Our want. Not our want for material stuff, but our want for Jesus. Our want for Jesus. I imagine if you could sit down with Peter. If you could ask him, Peter, what made you desire Jesus? When I was seeking... I'm sure Peter did not want Jesus no more than any moment in his life right there. When he was about to go under, the waves are boisterous. I can imagine that was the greatest desire for Jesus Peter ever had in his life. Now that's my my personal thought. I I can't swim anyway, so I need Jesus if I'm going to get near the water. Amen? But I can imagine Peter being and desiring Jesus the most right there. You know why? The other disciples were probably close by. They were in the boat. We don't know how far Peter was from the boat and how close to Jesus. But he knew there was only one that could save him in that moment. And isn't it a tragedy that so often we find ourselves in a place of despair before we truly want Jesus? We find ourselves needing our spare tire rather than seeing Jesus as our every need and our steering wheel. A.W. Tozer had seven rules for self-discovery. Number one was what we want most, what we think about most, how we use our money, what we do with our leisure time, the company we enjoy, who and what we admire, and what we laugh at. wonder what our, those questions today would reveal about us. Would, would Jesus be the one we would want the most? Would Jesus be the one that we would think about the most? And I wish that was in my life, but I'm going to be honest with you and tell you it's not always been. And it's not al- always is. Would Jesus be the one we would use our money for? Is Jesus what we do with our leisure time? Spend time in His Word, serving Jesus. Is people, are people... 
They like Jesus and they love Jesus, the kind of company that we enjoy. The truth is, they make us very uncomfortable. We're measuring our want. Who and what we admire is Jesus, our admiration, our everything. The very one that not only do we respect, but we admire and we long for Jesus. Do we laugh at the things that would be pleasing to God and Jesus? How do we measure up? Not only should we consider and should we obey, but lastly, I want to say we should experience. See, the journey with Jesus, Jesus being my journey, is an experience like no other. I see three levels of experience Jesus that's put on display in this passage. First of all, you and I can see Jesus. Not in a physical sense, if you will. But in verse 26, the disciples saw Him walking on the sea. They were troubled. If all we know is the Jesus that we can see in the lives of other people, we're living probably one of the most shallow forms of Christianity we can possibly live. If the only Jesus that you ever see is the Jesus that someone else enjoys, you're missing out. If the only Jesus you ever experience is the Jesus that you'll see here week in and week out preach behind this pulpit, you're missing out. It's like seeing the wind blow outside and watch the leaf. You see the evidence, but you don't experience. Because seeing Jesus is not the real experience that Jesus wants us to enjoy. I don't know about you. I'm happy when Jesus works in the lives of other people, but I want to see Jesus in my own life. I'm not satisfied with what He does just for you. I want something for me and my family. Not only can we see Jesus, but we can hear Jesus. Verse number 27, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. This is better than seeing Jesus, only seeing Jesus. If you've ever been and Jesus has spoken to you, you know what a joy that is. You'll be reading your Bible. You'll be sitting in church. The pastor's preaching. And God moves in beside of you and just says, Hey, I, I just want you to know I love you. That's for you. I'm here for you. Oh, and if you don't get it, you miss it if it's been a while. It kind of gets dry when you've not heard Jesus in a while. But when Jesus does speak... Man, it's a great thing. Can I say this? That Jesus wants us to enjoy Him. He made the statement. He said, be of good cheer. It is I. He didn't say, be of good cheer. Here's everything you wanted. Be of good cheer. Here's the house, the car, the land, all of the things you hoped for. He said, it's I. In essence, He's saying, am I enough? Am I enough? If I don't give you all those things that you desire, am I enough? If you had asked the disciples in that moment when the storm's raging, they probably just wanted the storm to calm down. You know, Jesus, be of good cheer. I'm here to calm the storm. He said, be of good cheer. It is I. He wants us to enjoy Him. He wants us to enjoy Him for who He is. Not only can we see Jesus, 
We can hear Jesus. But I believe thirdly, we can feel Jesus. And I believe this is, in this passage, the greatest experience of Jesus we could ask for. Realizing that Peter got to experience Jesus in a way that no one else did that night. He got to feel the saving touch of Jesus Christ that night. Peter cried out, and immediately Jesus stretched forth His hand and called him, saved him. The other disciples didn't get that touch that night. But Peter, because of his faith, and because of his doubt, and because of his faith, and because of his doubt, and because of his faith, and because of his doubt, got to feel the saving hand of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus longs for His people. Not just that we would see Him evidence throughout our church and throughout our lives and our families. Not that once in a while we would hear Him speak, but that we could feel His touch and know that He has saved us and He protects us and He keeps us. Jesus wants us to feel Him. Notice, not only did, Jesus, did Peter get to feel Jesus, he got a personal conversation. Oh, you have a little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And you say, well, that, what kind of question is that? I remind you, Jesus is doing the talking. I'd be okay. Here you are in the safe in the arms of Jesus, and he's just asking, where'd you doubt at, buddy? What's going on? That's in the Greek. And what's, what's going on? He got to not only feel the touch, but he got to see Jesus. Can I say Jesus desires a personal, personal relationship with each and every one of us? Will you look at verse 22 for me for just a minute? With me for a minute? Notice Jesus told the disciples, send them away to a ship. You see that? A ship. And then I want you to go to verse 24. Notice a ship, now it's the ship. And I don't know if there's multiple ships available or what, and I ain't here to, I'm not here to figure that out, but all I know is all of a sudden the ship that contained the Lord's follower was no longer just any ship. It became the ship and became very important in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus knew them personally. It became the ship. Jesus, verse 25, this is how Jesus was going unto the ship. He said He was going unto them. Going unto them. Jesus was about the people, not where they were headed. Peter got to experience Jesus in the way he did because of his desire for Jesus. Verse number 28, notice what Peter asked of Jesus. He said, bid me come unto thee. Peter wasn't happy with the status quo. Just riding the ship and waiting for Jesus. He wanted Jesus right then. Bid me to come unto thee. He didn't say, let me come with thee. Did you catch that? Wasn't about where they were going to end up at. But Jesus, let me come unto thee. Jesus, I just want you. Jesus, I just want you. Not what you can give me. Jesus... I want your person, not your provision. God, I want you for who you are and what you can give me. Excuse me, what you are, not what you can give me. And God, whatever you give me, I'll be happy with because I'm happy with you.
believe that's what Jesus wants from us. If you'd ask Peter, Peter, was it really a part of your plan when you stepped out of the wa- on the water to start sinking? I'm going to tell you something. I don't think you've got to be a deep Bible theologian to get this. I don't think he would say yes. They would say, no. Hey, I, I, I was thinking this. I believe, if you ask Peter, he said, well, listen, you know, my name means little rock. I was really hoping to get to a place I was skipping. So I could say, I skipped a rock on the water to Jesus. Say, man, y'all might get that a little later. <laughs> but I believe Peter would imagine himself eventually running to finish his travel to Jesus. Started out a walk. I don't believe he ever intended to sink, but he did. But can I say that through that, he still saw Jesus and experienced a part of Jesus no one else did? All the great men you hear about, most of them have had a trial of some sort, a battle to overcome. Most of them have done something nobody else has. And that's the kind of Jesus we have. I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet. Bow your heads and close your eyes.